Welcome to the At A Total Loss podcast, where lost moms candidly talk about stillbirth, baby loss, grief, survival, and all things in between. I'm Catherine. My first child, Brody, died at full term and was stillborn in January of 2022. I literally thought the sadness was going to kill me. And while trying to survive, I reached out to lost moms to connect with others who knew how I felt. It was these conversations that saved me, and to this day, they still do. We discuss our babies, life with grief. We even laugh, a lot actually. It is my hope that hearing our stories will help you realize that you are not alone in any of this, and maybe even serve as a guide to finding light in the dark. So get comfortable and grab some tissues as we discuss this crazy life after baby death that has left us all at a total loss. What's up, you guys? How are you? I know, loaded question, especially for all of us. You know, I always wonder, do you like when people are like, how are you doing? I think I don't mind that as much as like, I hope you're doing okay. Look, bitch, I'm not. Okay, I am struggling. (laughs) So I think asking, how are you doing? I think that's fair. Because you could easily be like, well, today... I'm a shit show or wow, you know, this hour right now is actually a really good one. And you could be like honest with how you are doing. And that can set the tone for your conversation with whoever's asking the question, right? Okay. That's kind of where I'm at. It changes. I think right after Brody died, I would like want to throw my phone across the room whenever somebody would be like, I hope you're doing okay. No, fuck off. I'm not. Like, how dare you even insinuate I'm doing okay? Yeah, but now to me, I'm not offended anymore. I'm annoyed. I'm like, well, that was a conversation ender. Because when people are just like, hope you're okay with like a heart emoji, I'm like, okay, there's no need to respond to this. That's not a question. That's just like a thought that they just decided to send me. (laughs) If they're like, how are you doing? Or... Are you doing okay? Question mark. Then I'll answer. I'll answer the question. But you send me, I hope you're doing okay with like a heart emoji. I'm done. We're not even going to, that's it. Conversation has ended. (laughs) I'm like hypersensitive to like even like periods at the end of a sentence on text. I'm hypersensitive to a lot of shit, you guys. Let's be real. And if you hear that banging, that's, that's literally me banging on the table. If you've ever met me, I use my hands a lot. You've probably seen it on my Instagram stories or my reels or whatever. (laughs) I just, I do. Not Italian. I don't know what it is. Overly dramatic. That's 100% what it is. Yeah. But okay, so here we are. I am hopping on the mic by myself today because I really wanted to address some of the things that you guys have asked me a lot about. I even did a poll on my Instagram. So by the way, if you don't follow me, go to Instagram at the Catherine Lazar. And by the way, I think I've said this before, but the the in front of Catherine Lazar is only because every single other handle ever possible was taken. So I had to put the in there. Uh, it was strategic. No, it wasn't at all. It was like, okay, I'll take that. Um, so go follow me. I do a lot of talking on my Instagram stories. I do a lot of sharing because one of the main things that I want to do is just to normalize the things that go on between lost parents and not even just between lost parents, between our ears, our brains, like what we're thinking, what we're doing, how we're feeling, normalizing the crazy thoughts we have sometimes or the behaviors that we're questioning in ourselves and also others. So 
I did a poll and asked you guys what you guys want to hear from me and you asked me some questions and you covered some topics that you want me to talk about. So I have these here. I'm going to try to get to all of them. We'll see. Uh, If I don't, then I will do another episode. I'd like to do these every once in a while and you guys can tell me what you think if you like these, just me riding by myself. I will obviously still have guests on because I, I love those conversations and of course, I'll have some professionals on as well. So we're going to continue that. You know, I'm way past 50 episodes now, which is crazy. And I've been doing this for over a year. And I have no intentions of stopping. And now, granted, it has been a little challenging to get them out over the last few weeks. If you've noticed, I do apologize for that. I am deep in the world of infant. <laughs> so I have been trying to figure that out. And if you've been there, you get it. And if you're not there yet, you will. <laughs> Uh, Wolfie is in the other room. I can see him. I can hear him. But right now what I'm doing is parenting his big brother Brody. And that's what I do on this podcast. And this is how I parent him. This is how I keep his name going and his memory going. And it's by trying to help the parents of his angel buddies. So this is what we're doing. And I love it, you guys. I really do. And everyone's always thanking me, but I'm thanking you for being here and for showing up for yourself and those around you and for your baby and asking questions and trying to figure out this life. And I'm just happy that you're here trying because it's so hard. And I know it is. Every day is different and there's so many phases. So if you guys help me heal as well, there are days where I am dark. <laughs> and it's like no one else will understand me except you guys. So it really helps me as well to have these conversations. But you're going to listen to my voice just for a little bit. And if, hey, if you're new here and you're like, who is this bitch? And what perspective do you have? Feel free to go to my story episode on my podcast. Um, literally, it's my backstory of where I come from, how we got here. Brody's story. At the time, I hadn't had Wolfie yet. So I do have what most people call a rainbow baby. And this is my baby after loss. And he is about three months right now. And it is a wild, wild phase of, my gosh, you know, the the saying grief and joy can coexist. I'm kind of tired of it, but it's true. It's literally like the joy that he brings is insane. Like he makes me so happy. However, there will always be that little tinge of grief and sadness that his big brother's not here and that I didn't get to experience things with him. So there's a lot of layers in this life, you guys, and it doesn't end. We just, it's so much, but we're here to do it together. Maybe have a little chuckle. I have no problem trying to enjoy my life. And uh, you guys just being here is awesome. So thank you. And I'm going to do another episode with another lost mama on parenting after loss to really deep dive deep into it because I think it need, there's some things that need to be talked about as far as what it's like being the parent of a dead child and then the parent of a living child. So anyway, let's get to it. So these are no, I mean, these are just the order in which they came in. So they're probably all over the place. But what I'm going to cover is basically trying to conceive. That seems like a big topic. Definitely pregnancy after loss. That seems like another topic. The days after loss and then the days after the trenches. So we're going to talk about those different phases and I'll explain those in detail. So if I don't get to your question, hopefully somewhere in here I can answer something for you. And then we'll do this again. Hey, I ain't going anywhere, y'all. Not going anywhere. All right. So the first one I'm going to start with 
is going to be Brianna, 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 (laughs) uh, asked me how I handled my journey getting pregnant again, trying to conceive and the negative tests are so painful. Okay, so if you have experienced trying to conceive, you will probably resonate with some of the things I'm saying. And I want to go ahead and before I dive into this, y'all, please understand that what is coming out of my mouth is from my experiences and from my conversations with hundreds of lost parents, okay? So I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not even a professional. Shoot, I don't even get paid for doing any of this. This is me using my skill sets to help others. So understand that when I have a feeling or emotion, especially in the first 12 months after Brody died, when I had a feeling or emotion, I would run it by other lost moms. That I have very close relationships with several. And so when I did that, they completely validated how I was feeling. Oh, me too. I did the same thing. So it's not like I'm just freeballing out here with crazy con- abstract ideas and concepts. I like trial and errored a lot of things in the first 12 months. And I wanted to truly understand how I felt and what I can do about it and what it meant. And sometimes I never got really much answers, but I did know I was not alone. So understand that there is validity coming from the things that I'm saying. And even, you know, if you're like, I don't really care as long as one person, okay, well, I'm the one person that will let you know you are not by yourself in the crazy intrusive thoughts and the wild behaviors that you may be experiencing because this is a shit show. Okay, so with trying to conceive, me personally, and this is going to, I'm speaking personally, I will not speak on behalf of everybody, but me personally, in my experiences, for me, trying to conceive was rough. It was not wham, bam, we're good to go. It wasn't. And I know for a fact how stressful it is for majority of lost mothers, especially stillbirth mothers. We gave birth, okay? Some tore vaginally. Some had C-sections. I actually hemorrhaged after and almost died. That's on my story too. I'm not getting into that shit right now. Okay. Um, But we had to physically heal from it. I personally got the go three months after Birdie died. Physically, you're good to go. But my doctor was like, your head's crazy. You need to get your mental space in check. So I did. I went to a trauma therapist that assisted me. I did accelerated resolution therapy. I talk very openly about therapy. And I found a grief therapist who actually was also a lost mama. Her baby has had died as well. So I really needed that. And then I surrounded myself with a village of lost mothers that I really loved and that really helped me. The support was insane. And yeah, I still had my, the support of my close family. A lot of friends dropped off and some family members dropped off. But hey, once I got through that, I was like, my circle's tight and I really like it. Um, and we'll get into that another time. But I'm very open about that as well. So my trying to conceive journey, I honestly thought it was going to be very easy. Brody was a happy little accident and I was actually tracking to not get pregnant. And he was the greatest little miracle I've ever seen. I still don't even know how it happened. And then when we started to try and it didn't happen the first cycle, I will admit the first cycle, we started trying, let's see. So we got the go after three months. I waited one more month to let my hormones settle so I could do the blood clot disorder testing. And good thing I did because what do you know? Have a blood clotting disorder. I factor two. So we started trying, I would say month five. And so let's call it cycle five. 
So cycle five, we started trying and we were on a trip in Egypt and I was like, oh my God, we're going to be so carefree and a little, little drunky drunk and we're going to, no, it didn't happen. And then I kind of was a little, not relieved, but I was like, oh, okay. And I will tell you before we even started, I didn't even want to start. I had like a phase. I want to say it was probably like month four where I was like, I don't want any other kids. Brody's my only child. I wanted him to have that title forever because he was special and I didn't even care if I had another child I mean it was a it was wild it was a spiral and I will tell you that shifted when I had my first negative test I was like hmm shit okay uh let's try this again next month my husband was always his name is Michael he always was ready to try again um to him Brody was his firstborn his son he will always have that title, but he really wanted to try to have living children, like not a, pretty much immediately. Um, and granted, you know, what's wild is that in the hospital, I even asked, when can I try again? Like in the ICU, I asked that, what, right? But we all do that. I don't know what it is. I have hundreds of mothers have literally confessed to doing the same thing. It's just like, it's just what our brain does. There's no explanation. So what's wild is that I wanted to try again almost immediately when I was in the hospital. Then I got home and I was like, I just got to heal. I got to heal. I got to heal physically. I got to get my mind right. This is nuts. And then once we started again, I was like, I'm not sure I really want another child. I wanted Brody to be special. But then when I got the negative, I was like, okay, this may not be as easy as I thought it was going to be. We got a second negative. And we got a third negative. And by this time, I was crushed. I was like, oh my gosh. This may never happen again. And each negative was 30 more days farther away from what I wanted, a living child in my arms, okay? So I was going into it with a mentality of, I just want a baby. I don't, I'm a mother without a child. I have empty arms. I just want a child. That mentality was really messing with me. And I think I was looking at it so not wrong, but I was going about it in the angle that wasn't working. And it wasn't until somebody introduced me to the book Spirit Babies. Now, don't let me let me just preface with we all go into a realm of things we never would have considered before our babies died. So I kind of was just looking at this book and I, I kind of skimmed through it. I didn't read the entire thing and I didn't do a lot of the chants or anything like that. But what I did do was shift my mind frame into thinking if Brody was watching me and he was picking my sibling and the sibling could see me, would the sibling want to be my child? And the answer at the time was, no, you're a fucking shit show. Like, you get your shit together, woman. So I was like, okay, well, I need to clean this. I need to try to do better. I need to try to heal a little bit more. And when I say heal, understand this. I will never be fully healed from my son dying. Okay, but I can heal from the anger, regret, and blame that I have around his death. That's what I needed to heal from. I was very angry at the world. I was angry at his medical professionals, my body. You know, I didn't even trust my body enough to carry another baby again. So I really needed to check myself before I wrecked myself. And once I did that, there was a shift in my mentality, in my spirit, in my heart, in my mind, my emotions. And I was, I was actually pregnant the next cycle. Not saying that shift did it, 
I was doing a lot of holistic things. I was doing acupuncture and acupressure and chiropractor and red raspberry leaf tea and was doing all the things. Then I needed some help from doctors. So I did start to add some ovulation assisting medication. um, And then we did add IUI just as an insurance policy. We did our regularly scheduled program. I was doing everything that I was always doing, but we added the IUI because the negatives were becoming so excruciating. It was really playing a toll on me. So I also had a hysteroscopy to remove scar tissue from my surgery from Brody's birth. So I missed a cycle there. Actually, I would say I missed two cycles there. So I want to say we tried for four cycles over six months. And it was, it was brutal. It was brutal because it becomes like a chore or a mission. I was tracking constantly and I just was like, I need some help. And I know there's might be a stigma to getting help. You know, a lot of a lot of us do IVF. A lot of us do, you know, maybe IUIs or, or fertility assisting medication and drugs. And at first, I got to be honest, I never thought that I would be in this situation. I never thought I would be that person. But hey, whatever. Do what you have to do to help yourself out. I am open about this. Will I do it again? Maybe. I don't know. I just know that that was the most carefree and stress-free trying of that cycle ever. And look what happened. It worked. So whatever works for you. And I got thrown in the kitchen sink. I went into my reproductive specialist who was like, hey, you look fantastic on paper. You don't really need to do this. You just need to be patient. I was like, ah, ah, ah. we don't have patience anymore. Patience is gone. I need it to happen now. (laughs) So he was like, well, let's make sure it happens one shot. So he did. He threw the kitchen sink at me. I'm open about that. If you guys have questions about what I did, please feel free to message me. You can email me or you can message me on Instagram. Wildly open about that. But the pain of the negatives were so rough. But here's what I decided. I stayed very, very busy in between cycles. I did. I stayed very busy. I dove into work. I took trips. I did things that were exciting. I planned dinners and we date nights and we just did, I did so much stuff. But what I decided was be, even though it was so negative, I'm, excuse me, even though it was so hard to get a negative test, I couldn't quit because if I quit, there was a hundred percent chance I would never get what I wanted and that was expanding my family so that shift when I told I told you about that shift in my mentality of looking at not just saying I wanted a baby it was I want to expand my family and give Brody a living sibling that's the shift and I knew if I quit trying to conceive I will never get that and I just had to keep going and I also had to keep saying That one day in the grand scheme of my life, this will be a blip on my radar. This will be just a small part of it. It feels like the biggest thing in the world. And it is the biggest thing in the world at the time. But you have to push through. You have to keep going towards what you want. Now I will say, there's a small portion of us that have a breaking point. And there there are some that do stop. And that's okay if that's your decision. That's your decision to stop trying because it's too stressful or too painful or it's not going to happen for you. Then you have to do what you have to do. But if you are just starting out in this and you don't know where it's going, you just have to keep going and stay as busy as you possibly can during the trying to conceive phase. Try not to let it all consume you. Try not to let it consume your relationship. Try to keep the romance there if you possibly can. It's hard. But try. 
be open and communicate with your partner. I mean, I got to be honest. I think maybe it was like cycle three or four. I had like the ovulation strips like out on the back of the toilet, you know, in a little cup with like a little plastic cup so I could pee in. Like I had a system. It stressed Michael out. So then the last cycle, I was like, he didn't even, I don't even think he really, or maybe cycle, I don't even know which cycle it was. See, this is how in the grand scheme, you kind of lose track. I didn't even tell him. I was like, I just tried to keep it fun and light and all that good stuff and try to keep my relationship at the forefront as, as, as hard as, as that is. And it's tough, you guys. It's not easy. That phase is just, it's, it's, it's a part of this whole thing. And for us after loss, it was just one more reminder that our baby's gone. And for me, I had no living children. My house was quiet. It was set up for a baby that didn't come home. I was set up with work, with life, with everything to be a mother to a living child. And he didn't come home. So then I had to reset everything. So it's really hard to not really obsess over having that living baby. Take a breath. Get to it when you're ready. And when I say ready, and everyone asks me this, how do you know you're ready? You're never really fully ready. I will tell you that. But what I can tell you is that you're going to have fears. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have panic attacks. And it's going to be stressful once you are pregnant. Just know that you are ready to try again when you have the tools to be able to cope. That you trust yourself to be able to handle whatever comes your way. Because you've done the work. You've done the therapy. You've gotten your toolbox of ways of coping. You've gotten things that you need to do to handle your grief. You've gotten it under, not control, but you've gotten it to a point where you were able to reach into that toolbox whenever you need it to, to help yourself. And it's, it's the things that help you during grief, during trying to conceive, during pregnancy after loss, the mental things that help you. Um, getting, honestly, like getting a skincare routine maybe or going on a walk or going to get a massage or meeting up with friends. Talking to lost mothers helped me tremendously through all of these phases. And you have to find the lost mamas that are in your face, okay, that make you comfortable. And finding those really helped me. And I would contact them all the time if I was feeling down or spiraling. Find something to, to turn your pain towards. It doesn't have to be big. Because turning your pain into something that honors your baby and gets you to talk about them and remember them all the time, that's helpful. You don't have to start a podcast, but this is what I was already doing. So it just made sense for me to do it. So I loved reality TV. Reality TV was like my jam. I would watch Summer House every single night going to bed. And it was so helpful to just watch other people spiral. Vanderpump rules. I don't care. I don't care if people are like, oh, you need to turn it off and go read a book. Hell no. Lost Mamas have a thing with Bravo. And we're allowed to do that. I put it on in the middle of the day. I would put it on in the middle of the day if I was having a moment that I needed to, to, to distract myself. And that's the thing. Understand something. Distractions are only toxic if you are denying what you're being distracted from. Think about that, okay? So distractions are totally fine. They're normal. Call it self-care. You don't have to spiral in order to honor your baby. You don't have to really go in that deep, dark, suffering place to be a parent to your dead child. You're allowed to dig yourself out if you want to. Only if you acknowledge your pain first. That's my thing. So like acknowledge it. Know that it's there. Give it the respect 
and the attention that it needs, but then dig yourself out. Now, if you're running and running and running and you won't let yourself feel anything other than trying to find happiness and joy and like deflect, 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 or distract, 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 then we got a problem. Okay. So distractions are fine. They're healthy if you're not denying what you're being distracted from. So those are the things that kind of helped me a lot. And I would get up and I would try to put some makeup on. I would, you know, get a cute outfit on. I mean, that was tough in the very beginning because maternity clothes were all that fit and maternity clothes I wanted to burn. So it's tough. But once you're, you're trying to get to that, trying to conceive place and that, that pregnancy after loss place, your brain kind of shifts away from your loss, away from your grief. It's intertwined completely, but you have a new focus. And, you know, a lot of you have asked things about, you know, is it too late at a certain age to start trying again? And you, you talk about the clock, the clock ticking. Some of us probably would wait way longer after loss, but a lot of us want it done now. 40. Someone asked me about 40. 40. Age has nothing to do with this, you guys, especially biologically or physically. Yes, we do start to, my God, deteriorate at a certain age, but... What it comes down to is where you want to be at this point in your life because this is a mental stress. This is an emotional stress. Yes, it's physical, obviously. Pregnancy, of course, is physically challenging. But you have to ask yourself what you want at a certain age. I have talked to teenage mamas who have lost. I have talked to 45-year-old mamas who have lost. It's across the spectrum. We're all different in our genetics and biologics and freaking hormones So it's just, I think what it comes down to, well, first of all, not giving a shit what society thinks. I don't care if people think I'm too old. I don't care if people think you shouldn't be doing this at this time or they think, oh, oh, poor her. Look at her go at her age. I don't care. We got to get past that. There's way too much judgment out there on us. So if you don't care what people think and you're ready to dive in and continue this chaos, all power to you. doesn't matter how old you are. And I think a lot of this comes down to like having your eyes on the prize. Somebody asked me, how was your experience holding your second child? Okay, first of all, let me just say that Wolfie's birth was a little bit, it was uh, not typical. It was unexpected. It was an emergency situation. My water broke. I did not go into labor. So they wanted to keep me, keep him in a little longer. I was 32 weeks. And uh, we were good to go. We were going to wait. We're going to try to get him to 34. What ended up happening was his heart rate kept dropping because it seemed like he was compressing his cord. And that's how Brody apparently died. So I was like, no, I'm not playing this game again. So I thought that we were, we were losing Wolfie. So we had an emergency C-section. It was a decision between my doctor and I, excuse me, between me and my doctor that we needed to get him out. And we did. So when I, when they got him out and I haven't really got too much into this, um, I did think that he was gone. I thought that I had another dead child, but I heard him cry and it was the greatest sound on the planet. I wasn't able to hold him for hours. And when I did, he was in the NICU and he was on a lot of cords and cables and, and, monitors and he was so little and so tiny and so fragile but that moment it was everything that you would imagine it to be and that's the eyes on the prize a lot of people it's I I can't wait to hear them cry 
and I can't wait to hold them. And yes, it wasn't the the <laughs> induction and vaginal birth that I anticipated, but it was magic. And that's what, if you need to hyper-focus on that to get through everything, then you do it. And for me, the connection was instant. I mean, it's like the insane amount of love just starts pouring in. Of course, there was still a level of grief and of guilt for being so happy about this, my son, when my first son, his big brother, is gone. So it's definitely you wrestle with a lot of emotions. But at that time, I was just so incredibly happy that he was there. And so that kind of leads me to the next question. I think that it's always been like part of the fear that comes with trying to conceive again is questioning if you're going to be able to connect to your baby while you're pregnant. And the pregnancy after loss has a lot of layers. And then there's an element of trying to connect to the baby at the same time. And so I'm going to speak for myself for myself, and for those that I have spoken to about this. For me, I, I did not have trouble connecting. Uh, I started feeling kicks and movement and flutters around 17 weeks, so earlier than I did with Brody. But that typically happens with the second pregnancy, so I've heard. What I do know is that the question of the, the gender or the sex of the baby – Now, gender disappointment in pregnancy after loss is massive in this community. And yes, I do understand that we're supposed to be happy and grateful and think that it's such a blessing, quote unquote. But what it is actually, it's a huge battle that we go through trying to connect with a baby if you're disappointed with the gender. That's a thing. Okay. Some people want the same gender as the baby that died. Some people want a different gender. I, it just depends on what you're looking for. Now, what's di- what's going to happen is no matter what, the picture of your life is going to change. You no longer have that first child. You no longer have that second or third child. Whichever child in the lineage that, that you lost is gone. So your life is going to look different than what you thought. Now, where we have to be careful is we don't necessarily want to <clears throat> replace the baby gone. You know, and you have to kind of train your brain. I went to my therapist and I was like, look, I'm really scared to have a girl. I I really, you know, I've always thought of myself as a boy mom and I I want my son and I miss him and I would love to have another son. And she said, well, you're going to have to process it no matter what. So you either find out now and process it now or you wait 20 minutes after the baby's born and process it then. Because no matter what, it's a thing. It's a thing. As much as you don't want it to be, it is a thing. So... Michael wanted to wait until birth to find out. I wanted to find out immediately at like the 10-week blood blood results. So we compromised and said we would, we would find out halfway through uh, around the anatomy scan. Now for me, I had the anatomy scan early at like 18 weeks. That was mainly just timing with my MFM. So we were supposed to do the anatomy scan, look away, and then go home and read the results. Well, that's not what happened. I was so fixated on looking at that baby. I wanted to soak up every single second watching the baby, listening to the heartbeat, talking to the tech. And then he made it very known that he was a boy and I did not look away. I could not look away. And I was just ecstatic. And here's what happened. I was so nervous to have a girl that I prepped for a girl. We named her. We started talking about her. We started accepting it was a girl. 
that when we found out it was a boy, we almost mourned the girl that we thought it was. It was wild. It was a flash of sad. Then I got so excited and moved to tears that it was a boy. I got, I felt guilty that I was celebrating a boy when Brody was gone. It's, I had to connect to two brothers in order to kind of move forward from that guilt. That I was celebrating his brother. That Wolfie has a big brother, Brody, and Brody has a little brother, Wolfie. So I was able to connect really quickly. Now, for those of you who had trouble connecting, regardless of the reasons, I've been told that it's around 20 weeks that you really start to connect with the baby and, and be like, wow, okay, this baby's legit. Like, this is happening. And then, you know, things that help are naming the baby, calling it by name, and buying things for them, which I know is terrible because we're always like, why would I buy something if the baby dies and I have to take it back? But it helps. Even if it's just one little thing. Now, Wolfie got all of Brody's hand-me-downs, but there was a couple things that I bought. Like, I went to, like, Binky Bro, and I got, like, a little, little like, beanie for him. Couldn't wait to put it on him. And that was really special because that was his. And it, it started to make this seem really real. And then one thing I will tell you guys, I think a lot of times we go into defense mode. Our brain does. We want to protect ourselves from getting hurt again. And to us, loss is inevitable in our minds because we've experienced the worst. We're now that rarity, that one in whatever number. So we feel like, okay, well, why can't something rare happen again? And anything is possible. Because I guess if you're anything like me, after you lose your baby, you go diving into the world of loss trying to find answers and you realize that there are thousands of different ways that a pregnancy can go wrong and a baby can die or something to just be wrong. So you really are just kind of more educated than your doctors because some of them aren't even aware of what's out there. So you're just nervous. You're consistently nervous. And I know for me, I wanted to celebrate my baby while he was alive. I have a lot of regret from not really celebrating my pregnancy or celebrating Brody that much when I had him alive. If I had known I would only have him alive in my belly, I would have done things way differently. I mean, I mean, I did the best I could and I, and I had a great pregnancy, but I probably would have done more. So I wanted to be different for this pregnancy. So I told people earlier than I probably, than I did with Brody, I told people like probably like 12 weeks or so because to me, I was going to talk about him no matter what happened, even if I lost him. And I wanted the world to know about him because he deserved that and he deserved love and attention for the whatever time I had with him. So I did it early. Now I will tell you, we had some scares during the pregnancy where I thought I might lose him. That's just my brain spiraling, creating scenarios and hurting my own feelings. But what happened was my brain went into damage control almost or like protective mode and I shut down. I disconnected from the pregnancy. It was wild. I was very aware that I was doing it. My brain was doing it to protect me. But I made my way back. But it's, it's a wild thing and it's all part of trauma. It's all part of grief. It's all part of post-traumatic stress. It's all part of this, guys. So lean in and knowing that it's going to be a rough ride. You're allowed to do it however you want to. But hopefully what I'm saying is giving you some guidance on it. It's okay to connect with your baby. It's okay to try. It's also not, it's not unheard of to not connect with a baby. And it takes you a minute or two. I've heard the worst things from parents almost wanting the pregnancy to end because it wasn't the gender that they really wanted. You know, things like that. But that's just trauma talking. 
that's just your broken heart talking. And eventually it does change. I've seen them grow fond of the baby and get really connected to the baby and allow themselves to because your love has to trump the fear that you have. That's the goal. Do everything out of love. I had to decide to do everything out of love. That was the only thing that I could do. And that's really a big game changer. And, and try to lean into that. It's a lo- you're allowed to do that. And I think that might be helpful. And while we're on the topic of babies, <laughs> Becca asked me uh, on my Instagram, jealousy. This is another question. How do I get past being jealous of all things pregnancy and baby? I think I want to kind of... The word jealousy, it's got such a negative connotation. I think for me, I was never really jealous. For me, there was a slight level of envy. And I'll tell you what happened here. Here's a story. So I was in an Orange Theory class and there was a girl on the treadmill that was very pregnant. She was wearing like a freaking bump suit, like a, like a jump, like a body suit. Like, so bump was on full freaking display, you know? So... I was kind of like, well, look at that audacity for one thing. And then she was running on the treadmill. I'm like, okay, this bitch is just getting after it on the treadmill. I'm over here. Already had Wolfie. Let me, let's put it that way. And I'm still being stung by this visual of this pregnant belly. So I went to my girlfriends and I said, and they're lost mamas. And I said, will the sight of pregnancy always sting? And they said, yes. And we're talking about mamas who are like four years out. And it's not that I'm angry at the mom and I'm not angry at the baby. That'd be weird. What it is, is that I have been through two very traumatic births. I have one dead child. I had one do five weeks in the NICU where I didn't know if he was going to make it in the beginning. What I'm looking at is somebody who I'm assuming has no idea of what that feels like that is blissfully ignorant to all the horrible things that can go wrong in pregnancy, who has no clue that stillbirth is a thing. What I'm envious of is the fact that their blissful ignorance is still intact and mine isn't, that I have been tainted forever, that I know the things that I know, that I have to feel the things that I feel, and that I live this life where I associate trauma and pain with pregnancy and babies. That's where I'm coming from. Now, if you're talking about, I don't know where this person is in their journey or their phase. I think that if you are trying to conceive and you see people who are pregnant, yeah, jealousy is absolutely a thing. So what I had to do, like in the very beginning when I was super envious of those who had had four healthy babies and I had one dead one. And then those who were getting pregnant super easy and I was struggling for a little bit. I actually had to separate myself from those things. I did not like the color it was bringing out in me. I did not like the person it was making me feel like. These are all triggers, you guys. And triggers are things that hurt down to your core, that open up deep, deep wounds, wounds that you are aware of. Now, we're always going to have triggers. I think in the very beginning after loss, triggers are all over the place. TV, books, movies, Target, driving in your car, you know, baby on board. Like that's, those are triggers. And the way that you react to it is more of a, almost a visceral way that you react to it. It's not just like an annoyance. It's something that hurts. Now, we're never going to be able to get rid of our triggers. I still have some. They're way different than they were before. Right after loss, 
I would have like breakout in sweats and I uh, feel like I was underwater if I saw a baby like my ears would start ringing and my my boobs would start hurting and I would have like body chills and like that was my body just responding to what I thought was my baby what my body was looking for was my baby and that's a trigger for sure now I dove into society because I wanted to get better at triggers so that I could still live a normal life <laughs> normal <laughs> semi-normal life and try to have some fun and enjoy the things that I used to enjoy concerts restaurants bars sporting events things like that I didn't want to shy away from going to Sephora because I was afraid there was a pregnant woman there or a baby you know so I dove in and I desensitized myself to my own triggers now I still have triggers and here's what happens with triggers they're gonna happen you're gonna have things that sting and stab no matter what the only thing we have control over is how we react to those triggers how we react to them is all we can control so you have to decide what kind of person you want to be when you are triggered Now, if jealousy is something that's you're feeling, then you have to decide how you're going to react to that feeling. For me, I cleaned out my Instagram. I don't follow anybody who I would be quote unquote jealous of or envious of. I think blissful happiness is what I also envied. So these people could not have maybe, maybe never even had a baby, maybe never even were pregnant, but they just looked so damn happy. I was like, fuck you. Like I just didn't want to see the happiness because I thought that it was impossible for me to feel it again. And even if I do feel it again, it was always going to be tainted with the death of my son. I'm still working on that. I'm not going to lie. It's tough. But I separated myself from people who were making me feel kind of jealous or envious. And I separated myself from Instagram profiles or anything that I just didn't like the color that it was bringing out in me. Sorry. And you can shelf it. That's all you can do. You can shelf the relationships. You can shelf it for now. And then you'll be back. I think this is a phase where you are feeling the jealousy. And I think later in life, it won't be as intense I do feel like as I progress through life, anybody who has two sons, especially around the ages, you know, that's, that's going to sting. That envy is going to sting. And that's, that's just human. If I see a lineage of children who are the same lineup that I thought I was going to have, that's going to sting. I don't know. And time will only tell, but you can only do the best that you can. You're a human being. You're allowed to feel certain things. Just make sure you check on how you want to react to these feelings. And what kind of mother you want to be. And I always thought, I never want Brody to be like, wow, my mom's a big old bitch down there. What's she doing? <laughs> you know, I have my moments that I'm not proud of. But I really do strive to be the mother that he's proud of and a, and a good mother to him. And he can't leave a legacy. We, we do that for our children, for our babies gone. We have to create the legacy. And so I really just try to be that good human being as best as I can. But again, we're allowed to feel things. We're chicks. We got hormones. Are you kidding me? My God. I, <laughs> I will go on rants and rampages. Not good look. And not a good look at all. I will be rude to like somebody who's like not very kind to me at a checkout counter. So I don't know. I just like I have moments. And, and I'm sometimes mad at the world. And I really am aware of it. But I don't want to be like that. We just have to work on ourselves. That's all. And do the best we can. Okay. So moving on. So I know a lot of us have worries you know about what the future looks like especially trying to conceive and pregnancy after loss and Julie wrote in specifically fear of judgment to fear of loss okay here's my thing on this first of all you've got to let go of your fear of people judging you holy shit let me remind you what you've been through 
You birthed a lifeless human. You birthed your lifeless baby. You had a stillbirth. Your baby died and you birthed their lifeless body. Are you kidding? Or if you're listening, you have infant death. Your baby died. How on earth are you going to let somebody who does not understand what that feels like tell you what to do with your life? This just, is this a trigger (laughs) for me? I had to let go of those people that would have anything to say on how I honor my baby, how I mother my baby, how I cope with my grief, how I deal with my grief, and how I handle my trauma. Get out of my face. You, if you don't know what this feels like, and even if you do, your story's not exactly like mine. You are not me. Unless you are me, you cannot say anything about this. You've got to let that go. We've got way too much to worry about. You're worried physically getting pregnant. You're worried about staying pregnant. You're worried about birthing a new baby, all the trauma that happens. You're worried about raising a baby that you're afraid is going to die. This is going to go on and on and on and on and on for the rest of your life. And you were worried about what someone thinks. Mm -mm. You got to stop. I know it's easier said than done, especially if it's someone close to you, like your mother or your sister or your best friend or even your spouse or your partner. Y'all, nip it. Because as soon as you demand respect from the people around you, they will most likely try to start giving it. And if they can't, bye-bye. I know, easier said than done, but that's, that's just, I want to protect you guys. And I, you, you are so hard on yourselves, and you've got people around you judging. It's just the last thing that we need to deal with. So with that said, let's talk about fear of loss. There's going to be a fear of loss. And I don't know how to tell you this. You think you're going to be ready to enter into a new pregnancy after loss, and there's going to be no fear bullshit you think you're gonna be you think you're not ready because you're fearful you think that if the fear goes away you'll be ready bullshit you will be fearful the entire friggin pregnancy you're gonna be fearful even after they're here alive here's what you do you do it anyway you do it anyway you cannot fear your own fear you have to just dive in and try to figure it out as you go give yourselves the tools get yourself the therapy you need get yourself your good support system and close friends around you and just do it and trust that you're going to get through it anxiety and fear are there to protect us because we've been in this situation before that's um, if you guys follow me on instagram my favorite thing to post is that basically we're one of the only groups of people that re-enter trauma voluntarily like if you were to go swimming with sharks and you got bitten by a shark do you think you'd ever go back into that shark water again absolutely not but what are we doing we're going back into our shark water again voluntarily re-traumatizing ourselves over and over and over again so you have to man and equip yourself the best you can. Get, get good doctors on your team. That's huge. That listen to you. That are compassionate. That let you come in whenever the hell you want to come in. Get as many ultrasounds as you want to. Get as many tests as you want to. Demand it. My doctors looked at me and said, we thought you were little, just little on the PTSD side, but you were so over the top with, your, with what you wanted from us. We're happy you did that. And we let you do that because you needed that. That's what, that's what, that's, oh my God, you guys, like, come on. So get the information that you need, get the answers on why your baby died. It's scary, I know, but that'll help you. If you know, kind of close to what happened, that'll help you try to have some control over the next pregnancy. You can only control what you can control, guys. There's so much that is out of our control, but you can only do your best. Figure out what you can control and what you can't and let the rest of it go. So equip yourself with a good team, equip yourself with your knowledge, Equip yourself with coping mechanisms, workouts, chats with friends, dinners with friends, date nights with your, your significant other, 
trash TV, massages, hiking, travel, whatever it is, get your list ready to go. Like for me, scrolling reels was pretty interesting to me because I got my algorithm to where everything was funny on my reels. And I would tell lost moms to sell me funny reels. So when I went to the doctor and I would have an absolute spiral meltdown, sweating, waiting for the ultrasound, and this was in the first trimester, waiting for the ultrasound, I would scroll. I had it ready to go. Or I would listen to something. I would have music or I would listen to a podcast or something. I would just have something at my fingertips that I could do to distract me if I knew I was going to spiral. And I always brought someone with me to the appointment. I brought my sister once. It was hilarious. I couldn't, you couldn't even tell I had any trauma. It was literally just like us freaking laughing the whole time. The doctors were like, what is this? <laughs> just equip yourself. When we go down spiraling for answers after loss, we do figure out that there are a lot of things that could go wrong with the pregnancy and there is a chance that you could lose your baby. Yes. However, I had to decide that I loved Brody's sibling so much it had to outweigh the fear that I had of potentially losing another one. I know, it sounds wild, but you just have to do it. You also can't run away from the fact that you will have spirals, anxiety attacks, panic attacks, crying. You will, you will, and it's wild. Find a pregnancy after loss pal, a pal pal is what my friend, my friend Liz always says, episode one. We also did episode 30, pregnancy after loss, if you want to listen to it. Super helpful to hear the perspective of two different loss moms. Get yourself a pal pal. Because I would text her and be like, I'm spiraling today. I feel out of my mind. And she was like, okay, I got nothing for you except that that's normal. And I did it all the time. It's normal. You're going to do it. But you can't fear that. Just have your toolbox ready to go on what you need when you need it during that pregnancy. Okay, can't fear fear. We got way too many other things going on. (laughs) So all of this we're talking about is phases, you know. Trying to conceive is a phase and pregnancy after loss is a phase. So let's go back. Uh, I don't know this person's name, but she is asking that she said she's out of the trenches, but these mid-months, months five and almost six, have brought horrible pain too. Okay, so let me explain. The trenches, that's the first three months after loss. And I specifically said three months because for me, at around the 11 or 12-week mark, the fog started to lift. And I, when I say fog, I mean hormones. You have postpartum hormones. You're in the fourth trimester. Nothing is making any sense. You are a basket case. I was hysterically, uncontrollably sobbing, laying by the toilet, vomiting from crying so hard, on my knees, praying God to just don't let me wake up. This hurts so much. I hated my life. I didn't want to be in my own body. I wanted to unzip and just step out of it. It felt like my skin was inside out. I was rallying, my, my husband was doing everything he could to try to keep me just alive. I, I, I was not healthy after I gave birth. I went into um, preeclampsia after. I was just in bad shape. I was banged up and bruised from surgery. I tore. I just, it was a lot, you guys. And I was, the, the meal trains were coming, the flowers were coming, the cards, the I'm sorry, the texts, the everything, the, the visitors and Everything. And even like the gifts from the damn baby shower were coming. Brody died two days after his baby shower. So everything that was back ordered was being delivered in the three months after. It's, it's probably the most excruciating time in, in anybody's existence. Now, I'm not saying that after that it's over. 
That's not what I'm saying. It changes. The trenches are not your new normal. Month four, five, and six, not your new normal. Months to, to month 12, not your new normal. Your new normal isn't until later. This is survival, survival mode. So don't get too comfy there. Just get through it as best you can. Now, what happens after the trenches is the meal train stop, the tech stop, the gifts stop, friends stop, the communication stops. People start retreating from you. I think I remember, I started to realize, wow, my relationships are changing. People are acting interestingly different. What's happening? You know, I dove into therapy and I spoke to lost moms probably like two weeks after Bernie died. And now I was starting to settle into a life with pain, loss, and grief. For a while, I thought that I could just do enough work and I would be fine. I could go back to my old life. I could go back to my old self. When I realized that wasn't possible, I had to really lean into what this looked like now. And it was a horrible, horrible day when I realized that I was going to have to live with this for the rest of my life because I loved my son. I will love my son forever. That means I will grieve him forever. So the months after are still painful, but they're painful in different ways. I do believe that I had a little bit of an understanding that grief was by my side always and how I can cope with it. I was still having spirals and dark days and hysterically crying and punching holes in walls. Well, I'm not that strong. Trying to punch holes in walls and just absolute meltdowns. Absolutely. But you are now settling into life with grief and how it's evolving and the new phases. It's a new phase. So yes, if the, if the months after the trenches are hard, they're absolutely supposed to be. It's going to be hard for a long time. I'm 20 months out, 20 months out, and I still have very challenging moments. But you hear what I said? I said moments. Right after loss, it's days. It's 24-7. And then a little bit after the trenches, you start to ease up a little bit. You have a glimpse of laughter. You have a glimpse of this, a glimpse of fun. And it's okay to let yourself have fun. I had to realize that. Right after Brody died, I thought that if I got better, quote unquote, if I started to feel better, then that would bring me further away from him because I identified my relationship with him with pain. But I had to realize that's not it. I had to try to be a good mother from earth. And in order to do that, I had to find ways to laugh again and smile again and have fun. And it wasn't until I met some lost moms that were like, you're allowed to do that. I mean, I felt guilty for laughing, guilty for enjoying a glass of wine or even eating food. I had to, I had to start saying, you know, what kind of mother am I? What kind of life do I want to have to keep honoring him, to be able to talk about him? And for him, if, he's, if he can see me, what kind of life would he want to watch me have? It's hard, but you're allowed to do that. And as soon as I did that, I was trying to figure out how. How can I lead a good life? But I didn't even try to figure that out till after the trenches, you guys. Like, don't even just get through the days. Then you can start to try to figure out what you want to do next. Handle the relationships. Handle the secondary losses. Secondary losses are our relationships, family and friends. Secondary loss, maybe you don't like the job you have anymore. You, had to, you have to change industries. You have to change complete career paths because you can't go back to the old one. Secondary loss is yourself, who you were. You know, it's hard. It's hard to even look at photos. So that is still a challenging time as well. And, you know, all of this is challenging and all of this is phases. And that's why we have to try to do this together. Again, this is just 
my take on all of this and my perspective on these things and what I've learned over the past 20 months since Brody died. Grief is right by my side. And yes, there are days I don't cry. I cry. I don't cry most days, you guys. Can you believe it? Can you believe that? Especially if you're listening to this in the trenches. The happiness will start to come out and be around more than the sad. And the sad will poke its head up and grief will show its face when it needs attention. So you give it the attention it deserves. And then you pick yourself up off the floor and you keep going. Because time will move on. And that's one thing. It feels weird. Like time just keeps going on and everyone just keeps going on with their lives. And we just are standing here going, oh my God, but my baby died and I can't move forward. You have no choice but to move forward. Everything around you is going to move forward. So you have to pick up the pieces and you have to carry them with you. And you just have to figure out how to do it. Everyone's like, oh, it doesn't get easier. It just gets different. It does get easier because you get stronger. It's like lifting weights at the gym. You're not going to go in and lift a 25-pound dumbbell. But if you keep doing it, you keep going back, you keep working on it, one day it's going to be easier to lift. It doesn't mean it's not heavy. It's still the same weight. It's still the same size, still the same heaviness, 25 pounds. But it's easier to pick up because you strengthen yourself to be able to do so. Hope that works, guys. And I hope these, I hope this helped. That's all I'm here to do is help. And you know where to find me. You can email me at uh, thecatherinelazar.com, at gmail.com. So thecatherinelazar at gmail.com. I have a website, katherinelazar.com. If you want to message me through there, you can always DM me at thecatherinelazar on Instagram and Facebook. I'm here for y'all and whatever you guys need throughout this phase and throughout the journey that you're on. Because we're in this together, guys, and it takes a village to raise living children, but it also takes a village to parent those that are gone. And I'm so proud of you for even just being here and listening to my voice, just seeking out answers and seeking out ways of living this life the best that you can. That makes you an incredible parent to your baby. I love you. I love your babies. Hit me up, guys. And until then, I will see you later. Take care. That's all for this episode of the At A Total Loss podcast. If you'd like to help other lost moms benefit from our stories, please share, rate, and comment wherever you are listening. Thank you for being the strong mama that you are. And remember, when things have you at a total loss, we're here to help you find the light in the darkness. Take care, lost moms.